All right, Jabo say good morning. Let me begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Teves, Dovi, and Nina Elman for dedicating all of the Shi'ulim and Joshos this month in honor of their daughter Ayelet becoming a Bas Mitzvah. May she continue to be a source of nachos for the entire mishpacha. And our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Moshe and Devorah Werdersheim, in memory of Moshe's mother, Liba Bas Zusha. We hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, the Neshama has an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. Well, with that, let us begin a great, great, great daf ahead of us today. So today's daf is Nun Gimel 53. We are picking up a lot to do today, and it started late, which is not good. We are picking up on 52B. Not enough time. Maybe we'll start at 5. I'll take a poll. Good. So, so the Gemara says as follows. So we'll say we're picking up Nun Beis, Nun Beis 52B. We're picking up at Rabbi Eloi Kotz Kafni Aisa. It's 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, about 12, 13 lines up from the bottom. So Rabbi Eloi cuts kafanaisa the shvius. So we'll say Rabbi Eloi cut down a date palm tree. A date palm. Rashi says if you think it's the first of the widest lines of Rashi, cuts kafanaisa the shvius. Dakel ta'on kafnios ve'tmarim kitanim shelo bishlu ve'katzatz hadakel le'itz in ve'hevsid kafnios. So we'll say this is actually very interesting. So Rabbi Eloi cut down a date palm. This is all shemitah year. Cut down a date palm on shemitah. And at that, when he cut down the date palm, the date palm only had unripened dates on it. So why is he cutting down the date palm? Obviously not for the dates, because the dates ultimately, again, are unripened. But rather, he cut it down to use the tree as firewood or as wood for something. So the Gemara says, hey, chi, How is he allowed to do this? The eye, the Pasuk says, The only thing you're allowed to do with, with produce and trees on Shemitah is consume it. You can't destroy it. So how was he able to go ahead? How was he able to go ahead and cut down the tree? So we'll say, remember, the, the real issue over here is the assumptions that when he cut down the tree, the tree essentially, the unripened dates were wasted. In other words, they never had the chance to mature on the tree, and therefore they were pretty much inedible. So he, he pretty much, he essentially destroyed Shemitah produce. So how are you allowed to do such a thing like this? So So maybe you'll say the only time that it's prohibited to destroy Shemitah produce is when is when the fruit fully developed. But maybe with underdeveloped fruit, which is essentially not really fruit to begin with, there is no issue of destruction. In other words, I can't destroy edible produce, but I can destroy inedible produce because that's not really considered like produce. And therefore, again, in this case, he cut down a tree with underdeveloped dates, and therefore there's no issue. I'm sorry. But is that true? Is that true? So we'll say the Gemara is positing that maybe underdeveloped produce doesn't have the status of peros. Doesn't have the status of produce, of fruits. And therefore, Allah Chalamaisa, if it doesn't have the status of fruits, there's no issue with destroying them during Shemitah. So is that true of Amrav Nachmanavah? Both say these Maschali Da'arla. Now, Rashi points out over here that Maschali Da'arla Shomer Hagadol Sivos HaTmarim. This is some type of shell or husk that grows around dates. That grows around dates. So I'll say, so this maschal, this maschali de peri, this ultimately, this maschal de arla, sorry, this, this, uh, this shell or this husk that grows around the dates of Arla, Asiri, it's treated like Arla, 
Hoil v'naasu shomer lepri. V'shomer lepri, so the says, since it becomes something that guards the fruit, therefore, by definition, it becomes part of the fruit itself. Now, v'shomer leperi emis habi, when does the date have this husk or have this shell? Bekufri, when it's underdeveloped, when it's in its young stages, and yet it's still called the fruit. So I'm going to say, what do you see from here? You see from here that even an underdeveloped fruit is still called a fruit. If that's the case, once again, how is Rabbi Eloi able to cut down a palm tree with underdeveloped dates that are now no longer going to mature and going to be destroyed? How is he allowed to do that? To which the Gemara says, Rav Nachman Rav Yossi. Rav Nachman holds like Rav Yossi. This is Rav Yossi, Yomer, Smadar Osr Pri. So perhaps again, this is actually subject to machlokas. Rabbi Yosiel's that smadar. Both say smadar, as we're going to see, is when the fruit is beginning to mature. Right, the beginning of the maturation of the fruit. Rabbi Yossi holds that even smadar ultimately has a status of a pre. The Rabbanon disagree. So therefore, I will say it turns out that interestingly enough, there's a fundamental machlokas as to when does a fruit become a fruit. At what point in time is a pre reckoned as a pre? Is it when maturation of the fruit begins? Or is it only a pre, perhaps, when it becomes fully developed? I says the Gimaro Maskiflorabsimarabanus so to the Rabbanon argue on Rabbiosi. In other words, perhaps the Machlokis Rabbiosi and Rabbanon is only in the case of dates. Do the Rabbanon argue on Rabbiosi with other trees as well? And we learned, at what point in time is it prohibited to cut down trees during the Shemitah year? So Beishamai says, So Beishamai says, this is very interesting, we'll say, as soon as the trees begin to develop leaves, you are not permitted to go in and cut them down. Rashi says over here, that's in the beginning of Nisan. Beis Hillel says like this, it depends, we're talking about fruit trees, I will say. So it depends, Beis Hillel says pretty much it's when the fruit trees begin to develop fruits. So for example, Charuvin, right, which is carob trees, Mishayesh ultimately when they begin to form chains. So I will say this means ultimately when the carobs begin to develop in ways that they look like they're interlinked. Vahagifanum and vines, top of Nungimel. When ultimately, again, the grapes, we're going to see what this means, is they begin to bud, right? You begin, you can begin to see a little, a little grapeola that's, uh, that, that's growing on the vine over there. And ultimately, olives. So Rashi points out over here, So by the olives, when they begin to form an outer husk, an outer shell, also beginning a maturation, Ushar Kali Ilanos, but every other tree, every other tree, Mishiotsiu, as soon as they begin to bring forth fruit, even in an underdeveloped state, they have the status of a pre, and Halachalamai say you cannot go ahead and cut down those trees on a Shemitah year. So I say, interestingly enough, the Gemara says as follows. So therefore, the Gemara says over here that you see that the Rabbanon argue on, the Rabbanon argue on, Excuse me, the Rabbanon agree with Rabbi Yossi by Shari Lanos. Microphone? It's, it's, I think there's a volume setting issue because if I keep it on my shirt, it goes into the red in YouTube. That's why I'm keeping it over here. Is that, is that good? I can move, I can put it on if you want. All right. So I say, the Gemara says as follows. Amravasi, Amravasi, Hu Bosar, Hu Girua, 
who pull halavan. And Rav, Rav As, he says, ultimately, again, this status is bosar, girua, pul halavan. I will say this is what we call this, this early state of maturation is called bosar, girua. Now, I will say pul halavan literally means white lentil. White lentil. So the Gemara says, Pul halavan sakadaitcha. Do you really think ultimately, again, it's an actual white lentil? Does that, does that make sense? Rather say that the sheer, the, the amount or the size, ultimately again is like a white lentil. So, we'll say, so the idea being is, it begin, we begin to see that although there's some, some specificity, maybe by the caribs or by grapes or by olives, in general, again, when it comes to fruit, fruit is considered fruit once it reaches some basic level of maturation. Or, or I shouldn't say maturation, excuse me, of development, of initial development. So the Gemara says, Who is the opinion who says that it's only Bosa, which Bosa is a more advanced level of maturation. Only Bosar is considered to be a pre, but Smadar is not. Rabbanon vikatani shar kalilonos mishiyotziu, and yet Rabbanon themselves say that halacha all other fruit trees are going to be, or all the fruits are considered to be peros, as soon as they bud on the tree. So therefore I will say, Kind of come, remember again. Let's, let's let's keep focus over here. Why are we in this sugya? We're in this sugya because Rabbi Lai cut down a palm tree with underdeveloped dates on shmita. Is that not a problem of destroying shmita produce? So he wanted to suggest that maybe Rabbi Lai is aligning himself with the opinion that says that halacha lemaisa, halacha lemaisa, an item is only considered to be a pre once it is fully developed. But if it's underdeveloped, it's not a pre. We've shown that that's incorrect. That pretty much almost everyone agrees that once the fruit begins to develop on the tree, it has the status of a pre. It has the status of a fruit. To which the Gemara said, therefore again, how does Rabbi Eloi have the right to go ahead and cut down the tree? Ella Rabbi Eloi bidinishani cut. So we'll say this is incredible. Rabbi Eloi cut down a male palm tree. This is great, by the way. You know, the male palm tree, he never matures. It's a problem. It's not much a problem. Just never grows up. So therefore, we'll say, listen to this. A male palm tree is unable to bring its dates to full maturity. So what do you do with a male palm tree? You pluck the immature dates or the unripened dates and they would put them in, she points out, they would put them in baskets made of palm leaves. And so the dates would mature off the tree. So they would say, interestingly enough, Rabbi Eli was not causing the loss of the dates. These dates were coming off the tree regardless, in their immature state, because the male palm tree, I guess, lacks the vitality to bring them to proper maturity. Therefore, Rabbi Eloi, in fact, did not do anything wrong. Incredible. So we'll say a little bit more Shemitah till we get to the Mishnah. So we'll remember again, we saw yesterday, when it gets to the halachas of beer, right? So beer says that you are allowed to go ahead and maintain Shemitah produce in your home as long as it is readily available for the chayas, for the non-domestic animals 
out in the field. And we discussed that this is very much a regional halacha, right? That Eretz Yisrael is, is divided up into three areas, right? There's Yehuda, there's Galil, and there's Everly Yardin. And in each of those three areas, there are three different halakim, three different parts to each of those lands. And essentially, as long as a particular type of produce is available in your region, halacha lemais, you are permitted to go ahead and maintain it in your home. So the Gemara just gives examples of this. So Tan Rabbanon, Ochlin ba'anavim achichlu dalios shal ochal. We'll say in this case, ochal is the name of a place. You could go ahead and eat grapes. When it says eat grapes, we'll say what it means is you could eat. There's no problem eating. It means maintaining it in your home. So you could go ahead and eat grapes until ultimately, again, there are no longer any vines bearing grapes in Uchal. That was the name of the place. And if it happens to be, again, that there's grapes available in another place, great. So you could keep olives in your home until the last olives are no longer available in Tekoa, the city of Tekoa. Rabbi Eliezer Omer Ad Shichla Acharov Acharon Shal Gush Chalav. Rabbi Eliezer says no until the last olives are available in Gush Chalav. Kedishi Ani Yotzi Ve'Enomotzi Lo Benofov Lo Beikarova. We will say what does it mean? There are no olives available. That if a poor person were going out looking for olives, that Halacha Lamaisi he would not be able to gather a rova, which is a very small measurement of olives in the trees or, or in the surrounding areas. We'll say again, these are all just illustrations of the same concept. You could maintain Shemitah produce in your home as long as that Shemitah produce is available somewhere outside, outside for the highest, for non-domestic animal consumption. You could go and eat dried figs or keep dried figs in your home until there are no longer any dried figs or figs available in Beishini. So ultimately, again, the Gemara says, the truth is the, the, the figs of Beishini were actually only mentioned, were only mentioned for Meiser purposes. But if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, Pagi Beishini, Te'inim Shal Oso Makom, Lo Huskru Bebeis HaMed, Shlechashef Peri, Ela Lameiser. So the Gemara says, Va'ahini Ditovina Chayovin Bameiser. Because we learned again in the Mishnah that the dates of Tovina are Chayiv in Meiser. Okay, fine. So Gemara says, Ochlin Bitmarm Achichla Achron Shabbatzar. Similarly again, going back to Shemitah now, you could go ahead and keep, keep dates in your home until the last dates are available in the city of Tsoar. So we saw this in yesterday's daf. Rabbi Shingon Liel said, again, dates often fall off the tree, and the dates fall into two places. Sometimes they fall amongst the branches, and at other times they fall into the thorns. There are thorns that surround the base of the palm tree. So dates are considered available, quote-unquote, when they, when, when they are available in the branches. But if the only dates available are the dates that fell into the thorns, that's not called available. So the Gemara says, Or minhi, ochlin ba'navim ada pesach. You could eat grapes until Pesach. But say, this is all Shemitah. So when can you store grapes in your home? Up until Pesach. Because apparently, again, up until Pesach, grapes are available in the field. Past Pesach, they're not available in the field. You can go ahead and keep olives in your home up until Shavuos because that's not available in the field. After Shavuos, you have to do beer. 
Bigrogeres ad achanika. You could go ahead and keep dried figs in your home until Chanaka. Bitmarim ad apurim for dates until Purim. Rabbi said that Rabbi Yochanan just switched around. He switched around ultimately again, Grogros and Tamarim. Fine, so the Gemara says. So, Rose, so what's the problem? The problem just is one second. We just said above that Halacha when can you maintain different types of fruits in your home until? When can you maintain it? Until it's available. And yet here the price seems to link it to the calendar. Right? You can keep this item until Pesach, this item until Shavuos, this Pesach until Hanukkah. So which one is it? Twitch the Gemara says, it's not a contradiction. The Gemara says, Edi v'Edi Chachur. In fact, it's the same shear. So we'll say, beforehand, the Gemara was just telling us, by the way, you know, you could go in and you could keep grapes in your home until it's available in, uh, in Uchal, right? Or in Achol, right? So now the Gemara is just giving us, just telling us, by the way, that's until Pesach time. This is until Shavuos time. This is until Hanukkah. It's the same shear, just here the Bryce is framing it in the calendar, whereas beforehand the Bryce was framing it in the realm of geography or availability in different cities. But it's the same exact shear. Vibai Sam, I will say first wide line, and give him Aleph. The other possibility is Hakatani Behedja, Vibai Sema, Hakatani Behedja, Im Yeshim Ucheres Mehen, Ochlin Alehen. So I'll say ultimately, again, we say it explicitly later on. Obviously, if there are any places that are later on, or as I will say, if technically speaking, you find a place in which grapes or any type of produce is available later than either the Yamim Tovim or than the places mentioned beforehand, you could continue to eat as long as it is available somewhere. So I will say, So Halach what comes out is just this simple halacha sabir. Beer says that you are allowed to go ahead and maintain Shemitah produce in your home as long as it is available outside for, quote-unquote, the chayis, for the animals. In other words, as long as it is available for non-domestic animals in the outdoors, you are permitted to keep it in your home. The idea is it doesn't have to be available in your city, right? Remember again, as you saw yesterday, as long as it's available somewhere in your region, that's enough to constitute availability, and that will give you the that will give you the ability to store the produce inside of your home. But once, of course, it is no longer available, the concept of beer says that what you must take any shemitah food items that you have stored in your home, and you must make it hefker. Let's make You have to destroy it or make it hefker. We'll go with the hefker approach. You take it out of your home and you make it ownerless. Good. Tanya, Shimon Liel Omer. Similar Harim Milan. Abbas says a very interesting Gemara. Shimon Liel says, the simon for mountains. Now, Abbas this is very interesting. How do you know something is called a mountain? In other words, the sign of a mountain, the, the, the topographical sign for a mountain are Milan. Rashi says, Milan are golnut trees. Golnut trees, golnut trees grow on mountains. Simen la'amakim, dikalim, ultimately again the sign of valleys, are date palms. Date palms grow in valleys. Simen la'amakim, kanim, the sign, this right, the simen ultimately again of a, of a stream, are reeds. We'll see what this means in just a moment. Simen l'shvela, the simen for a plain, right, a plain, is shikma, are sycamore trees. 
And even though there's no raya for this, ultimately, again, there's a scriptural allusion. What scriptural allusion? So the king gave money in Yerushalayim, the Shalah the incredible wealth. He dispensed money like it was stones. He gave out cedar wood. Like it was sycamore wood, asher bishvelalarov. He gave out cedar wood, which is obviously more expensive, like it was a sycamore in the plain. So you see over here that sycamore trees are commonly found in plains. Okay, so let's analyze this. Similar so the sign ultimately again of a mountain is gona trees. Similar amokim dekalim, the sign of a valley are date palms. Nafkamina lebikurim. They both say this has an important nafkamina for bikurim. Both say it's actually very important. What fruits do you go ahead and bring? Remember, for bikurim, first fruits, you only come from shiva saminim. So, for example, dates, of course, are one of the shiva saminim. But so, right, remember again how are dates one of the shiva saminim? Because when the Torah speaks about dvash, when it calls Yisrael eretz zeis chalav dvash, so dvash is not bee honey. Right? Devash, the very Israel is date honey. So dates are one of the Shivas Aminim. So watch this. This not aim of Rin Bikurin Elamish Shivas Aminim. We only bring Bikurim from the seven species that Eretz Israel is blessed with. Watch this. Velomi Pero Shebaharim. Velomi Dikam Sharam. Sorry. You don't bring Bikurim from dates which grow on the mountains. Velomi Peros Sheba Amakim. Nor from fruit trees. That grow ultimately again in the valleys. Now, both say this is incredible. Now, interest, I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't say fruit tree, I should say fruit. Both say, what does this mean? Date palms are only, are only really produce good dates when the date palms grow in the valleys. So, both say, why? Because think about this. In valleys, Rashi points out, the water pools. So, because the water pools, therefore, again, you have good, strong, healthy dates. Masha'inkin, if you have a date palm that grows on the mountain, that's not going to be very good dates, right? Because again, remember, water slides off the mountains. So therefore, you only bring bikurim from proper fruits. So only from dates which grow in valleys. Similarly, if you have wheat that grows in valleys, you do not bring bikurim from that wheat. Why not? Because Abos Rashi points out over here, pooling water is not good for grain. Right, pooling water causes grain to rot. So, because of that, any grain that grows in the valley, you do not use to be kurim. So, this is actually very interesting halacha. So, not only so remember, yes, bikurim comes from shiva saminim, but bikurim only comes from proper shiva saminim. What's proper shiva saminim? Shiva saminim that grew in a way that it was supposed to grow. That's why these halachas are important. So, the gemara is telling us. By the way, where where, where do where do date palms? Where are date palms quote unquote supposed to grow? In the valley. Right? Ultimately, again, what's not supposed to grow in the valley? Wheat, or I should say grain. Grain, good. So the Gemara says right there, similar to Chalim Kanim, a sign of a, of, a, of a stream. Ultimately, again, as reads, what does that mean? Nafkamina lenachal isan. I will say, why is this important? Egla Rufa, this is incredible. Rabbi, remember again, Egla Rufa, you go and you find a person murdered in, the, in between two cities. You don't know who murdered him. We measure the closest city. Ultimately, again, the, the elders of that city come out and they hold, do this whole process of the decapitated calf. The Torah tells us that where does the process have to occur? By Nachal Eisan. So it's interesting, there's a little bit of discussion exactly what Nachal Eisan means for right now. We'll just translate it as a flowing stream. So the Gemara says, what constitutes a stream? 
So a stream, by definition, is somewhere where there are reeds which are growing. So therefore, halacha l'maysa, if you were to do egla arufa chas v'shalom, so you would have to do it in an area, ultimately, again, which possessed reeds. Incredible. Simon l'shveh shikma. The simon, ultimately, again, of a plain is a sycamore tree. So listen to this. So the Gemara says, nafkamina l'mekach u'memkar. Oh, this has an interesting nafkamina, we'll say, for business purposes. We'll say, what does this mean? I go over to Ruvain, and I, get, I go into contract to Ruvain to buy, to buy a plane. Right? To buy a plane. To buy a plane, to buy a shvela. I will say, what happens? I go ahead, I, I, and again, I, I've never seen the property. He described it, I never see the property. I buy it, I get there, I see, and what is it lacking? It has no sycamore trees. I will say, I have the ability to claim mekachtos. I have the ability to claim this was a mistaken sale. Because everyone knows that a plane, part of the definition of a plane is that it possesses sycamore trees. So I'll say, this is incredibly important, to which the Gemara says, well, now that you said this, the truth is, the ramifications of all of these statements, when you're defining, when you're defining what grows on these different areas, all of this could have a significant business ramification. Because I will say, what's well, the same idea? If I buy a mountain, if I, if I buy a valley, right? A valley, by definition, has date palms, right? I buy a mountain, right? A mountain, by definition, what did the mountain have? What did the mountain have? Milan had uh, gallnut trees, right? So we'll say so again. So this is actually very interesting because we'll say from a from a from a real estate perspective, what the Gemara is suggesting over here is whenever you purchase any of these types of lands, we assume that these lands have this type of I'll call it vegetation, which is probably the wrong word, but you understand what I mean. These these type of growths are vegetation, and if it lacks this type of vegetation or growth, then Einachinami perhaps that might be a voidable omission, right? That that the, or I should say might be a voidable reality that I could void the transaction based on the lack of these items. Right? Quite interesting. But let's say here we go. Fascinating Mishnah. If you live in a place, we'll say still we're talking about the minog, now. If you live in a place where it is customary to sell small animals to Gentiles, you are permitted to do so. But if you live in a place where they don't go ahead and sell small animals to Gentiles, you can't do so. We'll see what the issue is in just a moment. We'll say, but wherever you live, we do not sell Behemagasa, large animals. We'll say large animals are beasts of burden. Beasts of burden. We do not sell beasts of burden to Gentiles. I will say, what's the issue with selling a behemagasa to a nochri? So look at Rashi for just a moment. in behemagasa. I mean, it's in the widest lines of Rashi, about six lines in. So listen to this. This is incredible. Chazal were concerned about the following. That if we allow you to sell beasts of burden to a Gentile, you may easily come to enter into rental agreements regarding those types of animals. Well, here's the problem. The problem is a Jew is not permitted to rent his animal to a Nachri over Shabbos. Why not? Because my animals have to rest on Shabbos as well. So for example, so on a technical level, I could rent, I could rent to a Nachri from a Sunday through a Friday. That's not a problem. But Chazal and Sud offering these types of rental agreements were for longer periods of time. And if I rent my animal to a Nachri and he ends up working that animal on Shabbos, I am in violation. That is an Isra Da'araisa. So Chazal therefore said, you can't go ahead and, 
you can't go ahead and rent an animal to an Akhri. But in order to safeguard that, Chazal also said, you can't sell a behemagas, a beast of burden, to an Akhri. Because we're concerned once sales are permitted, it's only a matter of time until what? Until people begin renting these animals as well. Remember, I want to point out, a sale, what's that, what's technically speaking, is it, should it be permitted to sell an animal to an Akhri? Yeah, that's not, once I sell it, it's not mine, who cares? But the concern is, the concern are rentals. The concern are rentals. And we're concerned that if we allow you ultimately, again, to sell, you may come to rent as well. That's the concern. So I will say, the Gemara is therefore saying, so some communities, as an additional Chumrah, said you can't even rent non-beasts of burden. I know it's not a, or it's not a good a term. What we call behemadaka, small animals. You can't even go ahead and rent small animals, or for that matter, sell small animals to a nochri, again, as a way of safeguarding the gzera against pieces of burden. So again, that's minagamakam. If you live in a place where they sell, where they don't sell behemadakas, can't sell behemadakas. You live in a place where they do sell behemadakas, you can sell behemadakas. However, again, in any place, we do not sell beasts of burden. Examples, Again, whether that's calves or foals, whether they are complete or whether they are maimed, right? Shover means broken or maimed. So I will say, interestingly enough, you might have thought, well, if an animal is maimed and it can't really be a beast of burden, then halach lamaisa should be permitted. Kamash molon, it is not permitted under any circumstance. Rabbi Huda Matir Beshura, Rabbi Huda says you can sell a maimed animal. That's not a problem. Because we'll say, since that's not really capable of work, it's not a beast of burden, it's no problem to go ahead and to go ahead and sell it. Very interesting. says you could sell horses to an Akhri. We'll say why? Because horses, interestingly enough, were not normally used as, they were not used as beasts of burden. Ultimately, again, they were used just for riding purposes. Rashi says over here, Why don't we ride an animal on Shabbos? We'll say, why can't I ride my horse to shul on Shabbos? So again, we'll say, it's nothing to do with working the animal. It has to do, it has to do ultimately, again, that I might break off a branch, right, to go ahead and use as a, as a whip for the animal. So interestingly enough, so, Based on this, based on this, ben, Rabbi Huda ben Beseris, ben Beseris said that you're allowed to sell horses. So, say it's very, so again, what, what I want to point out there is something very interesting. Number one, the halacha is, we don't sell behemagasa to an achri, right? Why not? Lest you come to rent them. And renting could be a problem. I still own it. The achri is working it on Shabbos. What are, what, are the, what are the limitations of this? So again, Tanakhama holds, this includes all animals, whether they're healthy or maimed. Rabbi Huda says, no. If it's maimed, you could sell it. Ben Becerra says, the exception are horses. We'll say the last part. Makum We'll say a fascinating sugya. Eating roasted meat on the night of Pesach. Are you permitted to eat roasted meat on the night of Pesach? So Gemara says, it was a din of minagamakam. So places where they ate roasted meat on Pesach, you could eat roasted meat. Places where they did not eat roasted meat, you should not eat roasted meat. Also, we're going to see this halach al-maysa, which is really very interesting. What's the issue with eating roasted meat on the night of Pesach? Last Rashi in the Mishnah, four lines are from the bottom, Shlo Lechol, Demechsi Ka'ocha Pesach Bochutz. Because it has the appearance like you are eating the sacrificial lamb outside of the Beis HaMikdash.
Okay, we'll define the parameters here. Says the will say, I'm Rabbi Huda, I'm Rav, Adam, Shiyomar Basar Ze Lepesach. Both say a person can't say, person should not say, this meat is for Pesach. Now, both say, now, Bipashtos, Bipashtos, a person is saying what? So, what Sarashi points out, this is even true if the animal is shechted already. So, let's say, I will say, Erev Pesach, you say, ah, this meat, this is for Pesach. A person shouldn't say that. A person shouldn't say that. Why? Because it has the appearance as if you're consecrating your animal and you're going to go ahead and consume a sacrificial animal ultimately outside of the Beis HaMikdash. So we'll say, we're very careful, we're very careful about how we go ahead and we talk about meat that you're going to eat. So we'll say, it could be, what I'm saying is I walk into the kitchen, my lamb is there, or my, you know, my calf is there, and I say, oh, uh, this meat is for Pesach. Now, what do I mean? What do I mean? I mean, I'm, this is my dinner. I'm going to eat this tonight. You know, so just don't use that verbiage, right? Don't use that Lushen, because that Lushen of Basar Zele Pesach has the appearance that maybe in your mind you think you're offering up carbon Pesach outside of the base of the we'll say, by the way, this is why during the Seder, during the Seder, when we get to Rabbi Gamliel, right? Rabbi Gamliel, the three, right? The most important part of the Seder, Pesach, Matzah, Maror. We point to Pesach, we point to Matzah, we point to Maror, but we do not point to Pesach, right? You do not point to the roasted shank bone or whatever you use for, you know, to represent, we don't point to it. Why? That, that's this Kimara. That's this Kimara. Because we don't go ahead and actively identify as anything as Pesach. Because the moment you do that, that has the appearance, ultimately, again, of consumption of carbon Pesach outside of the vicinity of the Beis HaMikdash, or of Yerushalayim, which, of course, is prohibited. Amra Papa. Dafka Basar. This Dafka refers to meat. Avalchiti lo kamar. So ultimately, again, I will say this only applies to meat. Meat, you can't say, ah, this is for Pesach. What you, but you can say it by wheat. By wheat, right? Why? Because you will say, what happens if you say this wheat is for Pesach? Everyone understands that. What, what, what do you mean? What you mean to say is, you are guarding this wheat for the sake of Pesach. So the Gemara says, Basar lo, is that true? That you can't go ahead and say Basar Zula Pesach. When, when again, what I mean is, I don't mean this meat is for Karm Pesach. I mean this meat I'm going to consume on Pesach. But I said, this is incredible. Meisve, I'm Rabbi Yossi. Todus isu romi, hinhig espene romi, lechol gidim mikulasen balele psachim. Todus, right? Todus was, a, was, a, was an important man in Rome, a Jew, a Jew, even though he had a Roman name. A Jew, and again, we'll discuss about him in just a little bit. He instituted an interesting minog in Rome. Oh, you know, we'll say, what was dinner in Rome on the night of Pesach? It was a fully intact lamb. Gadim mukulas, literally means armored. We'll discuss this a little bit in a little bit. The way they used to roast the carbon Pesach was the animal was whole. And the, the kishkas, the inside of the animal, was roasted alongside the animal, right? The animal itself was on a spit, and its feet and its, and its kishkas, its, its uh, insides, were roasted alongside. Todos instituted that that's how they would, that was dinner Pesach night. So I will say, which looks a lot like what? Cup of Pesach. <laughs> a lot like, forget about your shank bone. Forget about your shank bone. Todos is roasting, right? An open fire, a spit. A full lamb on a spit. That is Karba Pesach. 
but he's doing this in Rome. So the Gemara says, Sholchulo, and the Chachamim sent to him, El Mole Todus Ata, were it not that your Todus, Gazranu Alecha Nidoi, we would excommunicate you. Sha'ata Machil Es Yisrael Kadshim Bachutz, because you are causing Kalal Yisrael to eat Karbanas outside of the base of Mikdash. Kadshim Sachadaitcha, come on. Even Todus wasn't saying that it was actual Karban Pesach. Ela'ima, rather what he means to say, Amadeis, Ela'ima Karov Lahachil Es Yisrael Kadshim Bachutz. It looks like, it looks like you're causing the Jewish people to eat karbanos outside of the Beis HaMikdash. So Makulos in, Shemakulosan Bose, now in this case, why was it problematic? Because again, remember, Bose, in this case, it makes sense that it's problematic. I, I, I hear this. Because at the end of the day, the lamb is fully intact, it's on the spit, and Lamaise, it looks like a karban Pesach. However, again, Lo Makulos, I'm sorry, She'in Makulos, Lo. Bose, but from this you could see, a piece of roasted meat, right? If I go ahead and I say, oh, I'm going to eat this meat for Pesach, and it's just a piece of meat, just a piece of meat, not a fully intact lamb, that shouldn't be a problem. To which the Umar says, here we go. Amri, I'm sorry. Mekulas loshna amar, loshna lo amar. The truth is, Rabbi saying, if you are roasting a fully intact uh, lamb, that's problematic. Whether you make a declaration that this is for Pesach or not, it's problematic. Just because the optics of it are, 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 are not good. Sheinamakulas, perish in, lo perish lo. If the lamb, if you don't have a fully intact lamb, but rather you just have a piece of meat, then it's only problematic if you say, this meat is for Pesach. But if you don't say anything, then it's not problematic. So we'll say, we'll see in the Shulchan Aruch, again, we're not going to do it today, we're going to do it tomorrow, Mir Hashem. We'll see in the Shulchan Aruch how exactly this plays out, but we know that there's a very strong minog to avoid any type of roasted meat on the night of Pesach. Interesting discussion amongst the poskim about chicken, right? Because chicken, again, so again, there are many who are makled by chicken, that chicken is not a problem. It's really only meat because Karman Pesach ultimately, but Amir Tashem will see in the Shukhanak. But you, again, you see this sensitivity of Chazal to avoiding anything which has the appearance ultimately, again, of offering up carbon Pesach outside of the Beis HaMikdash. Now, now watch this. So the Gemara says, So Rav Acha, Rav Acha, he went ahead and he quoted this story, this episode of Todus in the name of Rav Shimon. Now, now the version we have has it in the name of Rabbi Yossi. So again, we'll say, it's just saying, who told over the story of Todus? So Rav Acha had it in, had in his version, in our Gemara, we had it as Rabbi Yossi saying it over. Rav Acha had it in the name of Rabbi Shimon. So according to the opinion who said that it reflects the view of Rabbi, or it was said over the name of Rabbi Yossi, it makes sense. We'll see why in just a moment. We'll say, according to the version who has the story of Todus, said over in the name of Rabbi Shimon, doesn't make sense of Atanan. Rabbi Shimon Poter, Shlois Nadiv Kiderech HaMesnadvim. Their boss is very interesting. What happens, very, very quickly, what happens if a person pledges a carbon mincha from barley? From barley, right? So we'll say, there is no such thing as a carbon mincha from barley, right? Carbon mincha only comes ultimately from, from, from wheat, from wheat. So Rabbi Shimon says that if a person goes ahead and pledges a carbon mincha from barley, that statement is totally meaningless. 
Totally meaningless. Essentially, we'll say the Lashon the Gemara uses is Tafas Lashon Acharon. We grab the last piece of what he said. Since he said, he said, mincha We seize on Saorim. There's no such thing as a Mincha from Saorim. And therefore, his entire declaration is void. So, therefore, again, using this logic, using this logic, what Toad this did was really inconsequential because there's no such thing as a carbon Pesach outside of the Beis HaMikdash. To which the Gemara says, Rabbi Ravashi, Oman de Masnak Rabbiosi Minecha, Vama Rava Rabbi Shimon Bishitas Rabbiosi Amra. But yet Rava said that Rabbi Shimon himself held like Rabbiosi, which sounds like Rabbiosi would also say it's an inconsequential statement. Um, the Gemara says, The Amr Af Bigimar Dvarov Adam Nitva. So we'll say, we've seen this Machlokis before in general, when a person says something, there's two parts of the statement. One part is coherent, the second part is incoherent. Or one part is true, the second part is false. Which part do we accept? So we'll say, for example, if a person says, Hare alai mincha min hasa'orin. If I say, I hereby accept upon myself, I'm doing a mincha from barley. There are two parts to that statement. Part one is I accept upon myself mincha. Part two is it's from barley. So both say, which part of the Lushan do you go ahead and accept? See if you accept the first part, it's Chayva Mincha. And where does he bring that Mincha from? He brings the Mincha from Chitin. But if you accept the second part, then what? Then ultimately the statement is inconsequential. So Rabbi Shimon is the one who says, But Rabbi Shimon gets a shita from Rabbi Yossi. My love means Rabbi Shimon, some of the Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi, not some of the Rabbi Shimon. Now, if Rabbi Shimon holds like Rabbi Yossi, does Rabbi Yossi not hold like Rabbi Shimon? To which the Gemara says, Lo, Rabbi Shimon, some of the Rabbi Yossi. Below Rabbi Yossi, some of the Rabbi Shimon. No, Rabbi the Gemara says, You have to say that what? Rabbi Yossi holds. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Rabbi Shimon holds like Rabbi Yossi, but Rabbi Yossi does not hold like Rabbi Shimon. Okay, Bari Lehu. So, Rabbi Yossi, now let's go weiter. Say Bari Lehu. So just a machlokes as to who said over the story of Todus. But I will say one more important piece. Todus ishromi gavra rabahava or bal egrofinhava. I will say watch this story. So I'll say the story with Todus is very interesting. Why? Because the rabbis sent a message to Todus. And they said to Todus, you know, if you were not Todus, we would put you, we would excommunicate you. So what does that mean, I will say? Does that mean, was Todus a big tzaddik? Or maybe he just wasn't a big tzaddik, he was just very powerful. So the rabbis, so were they saying, told us, because you're such a great tzaddik, we're not going to excommunicate you? Or were they saying, told us, because you're pretty powerful, that's how we're not going to excommunicate you. So I'll say, listen to this. So Gavra Rabba, was he a great man? Or Bala Grofin? I'll say, Bala Grofin means what? A man of fists. So he was powerful, they were afraid of him. So I'll say, watch this, Tashma. The answer, the question is answered right here. The fact that Todus' Torah is recorded in the Gemara tells us that what? He was a great man. That's why they were next communicated. It wasn't because he was powerful and they were afraid. It was because he was a great Talmud Chacham. And so they did not want to excommunicate him. It goes back to yesterday's daf. Because when you excommunicate the Talmud Chacham, you also go ahead and tarnish Kavadat Torah. So we'll say, watch this, but this will end. This is beautiful. I will say, why did Hananya Mishal and Azaria allow themselves to be thrown into the fire furnace. We'll say just a bit of context, very, very quickly. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bavel, had built a great statue of himself. Everyone had to bow down to it. Chananya, Mishal, and Azariah 
would not bow down to it. They were threatened with death, and they sooner accepted death than to bow down to the statue. There's a lot of discussion in Rashi and Tosis about was this Avodah Zarah, was this not Avodah Zarah. So how, why, what, why did Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah allow themselves to be thrown into the fiery furnace rather than bad down? So you both say, Tosis understands that Nebuchadnezzar did not build this statue as Avodah Zarah. It wasn't idolatry. So why did he want people to bow down to it? Bowing down to it was a sign of allegiance to the king. As such, on a technical level, if it's not idolatry, you could bow down to it. You could bow down to it. So why did Hananiah ben Mishal Vazariah not bow down? Why did they allow themselves to be thrown into the fire furnace? Well, say, this is incredible. The Gemara says, Nasu They made a kavachomer. Mitzvardim, Tzvardim, we'll say this week's parsha. The second Mako, the second Mako of, of frogs. Right by the frogs, what does the Pasuk say? The Pasuk says the frogs are going to come everywhere. They're going to come in your house and in your ovens and in your mixing bowls. When are the mixing bowls next to the oven? Only when the oven is hot. Notice that if you're baking, if you're baking, you heat up your oven while you're kneading in the bowls, which means that when the frogs jumped into everything, what did they jump into? What, what? They jumped into hot ovens. They gave their lives al Kiddush Hashem. Anu, listen to this. If the frogs were willing to give their lives al Kiddush Hashem and they are not commanded al Kiddush Hashem, we have to give our lives up. We'll say, isn't that incredible? They learned out the need to give their lives. Mamish from Well, fine, let me just finish this up very quickly. So Rabbi Yossi Bar Avin says, that, 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 that Todos, Rabbi Yossi, was not only about Staka, but you know what he used to do? He used to put merchandise in the pockets of the Talmidi Chachamim so that they could sell the merchandise and make a parnasa. If you help a Talmud Chacham make parnasa, you have a special seat in the Yeshiva Shamala. Those who sit in the shade of Chachma, the shade of money. We'll say an incredible use. So we'll stop over here. But the Yisrael ultimately being that Todus. So we'll say, see two examples of how Todus was a great tzaddik. Number one, because he darshan Torah, his teachings are included. And number two is that he gave the Tamidi Chacham merchandise with which to make a parnos. All right, so we'll say, we'll stop here. Much more to say about this. We'll pick up Emirat Hashem here tomorrow. We'll say.